Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. A pleasure to be with you today. A lot going on, obviously. Governor Cooper desperate to get you to believe that abortion is is a is a reproductive health issue. Uh, it's amazing. He doesn't he doesn't like to use the word abortion. It's it's reproductive health or that someone's preventing women from reproducing. It's the weirdest. And and luckily, a lot in the media aren't buying it. But that is the poll tested. So, Governor Cooper, just in case you aren't aware, a lot of the way they operate and, and with his consultants is they poll test words. They, they poll test phrases. And I know this because I've been working with these people, not on the other side of the aisle, but but they, they poll test. Both sides do it. They look for a phrase that you'll like. And, and we have the attention span of blind squirrels on a hot summer day where we're darting back and forth looking for attention in some way. And they're looking for the phrase that'll get you to be the most upset, the most angry, the most disturbed, the most likely to do something. And so that's it. If they can scare women into thinking, I guess they can't get pregnant, that Republicans are trying to keep them from getting pregnant, then maybe they'll call one of the four people. So he's desperate. He's running around the state. He knows the sun is setting on his veto. He knows Republicans are kind of holding it together. He's thinking it's a Hail Mary, looking for relevance. So people won't pay attention to the fact that he destroyed education for so many kids over the past few years. The lockdown governor, whose basis in science now was tenuous at best. Uh, it is it is a desperate move for attention. This governor is not doing well. The budget also a very fascinating. We'll talk a little bit about that today. A little different perspective. People like to think we play to the base on talk radio. We don't uh, always. It, it's an opportunity for you to call in and get on the conversation if you want to. 704-570-1110. Any topic, anything I'm talking about or something else that's on your brain, 570-1110. Now, Having said that, we'll, we'll be speaking with Artis Watkins. She's the head of the State Employees Association. They're, that group is taking a look at the budget. And, and surprisingly, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to put words in her mouth, but they have been kind of a moderating force. They have pushed for reforms on the state health care plan that, that agree with the treasurer, uh, Dale Falwell, a Republican who's running for governor, to try to save. Heretofore, hospitals have been unwilling in this state. It's one of the worst cartels in state history. They've been unwilling to provide transparent billing. Uh, they've been unwilling to do that. The state is probably, with the employees, represents about a tenth of all people in the state. Shocking, but true. I think they're the single largest employer in the state. And if you add the counties and cities into the mix that that also don't get transparent billing, it's 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 a crime. It really is. We don't get it as, as consumers. State employees don't get it. The treasurer who pays the bills... And then the people who were handling that, which was Blue Cross Blue Shield, they weren't providing the transparency. On so they would just send a bill. The state would be expected to pay it. The state didn't get clarification on what, how much was a knee replacement, how much was a hip replacement, how much was uh, a gastric bypass, how much was all of these medical procedures, how much? Very clear. What is it? No clarity. Just pay your bill. Just pay your bill. Just pay your bill. And that reached a point where now Blue Cross Blue Shield has tentatively lost the state contract to process bills. Again, the state is self-insured, so the money goes to a TPA that pays. It's not an insurance company in the traditional model. Not exciting, 
but that's the way it is. So the state health, the, the new budget is putting pressure on hospitals. Look, if you're in a county of more than 250,000 people, you need to get on it. Your hosp- We're going to start holding your hospital accountable to help bring down these costs. Now, one of the things the state budget isn't doing that needs to be discussed, and it's funny, one of the people that's been critical of, of both Pete Callender and myself, we've been tremendous advocates to get rid of a process called certificate of need. Certificate of need, North Carolina is one of a few states. It's, it's, an, it's a horrific anti-capitalist, one of those communist products you can put out there. Certificate of need means that for you or any of us to create competition in the medical world, we have to get permission from the state. We have to be blessed. We have to prove there is a need and get a certificate from the governor to say, yes, I will allow you to compete. Hospitals want to keep certificate of need because it protects their kingdom. It protects their way of holding you hostage and not allowing more competition to come in. So one of the people, Pete, was critical of this. I have been critical for decades of this. It's a silly, archaic, medieval way of looking at things. It's a very much kiss the ring way of doing things. And so North Carolina, what they've done is they've kind of nibbled around the edge where there will be some certificate of need reform if we get a budget approved. We'll, we'll, if we will be some, not all, but we'll get rid of, I think there's 12 versions of it and there's going to get rid of three of them. And so Brent Woodcox was one of the people, you know, kind of critical of Pete and critical of myself to say, Hey, you should, and, and, and there has been an open invitation for anyone in the legislature from either side to discuss certificate of need. But when you, when you do that, and I, this is going to sound very, it does, it's not meant to be disrespectful, but remember they work for us. They work for you. They've refused. I have sent it to Berger's staff, uh, Phil Berger, who's the leader of the Senate, to his staff, say anybody, anyone in the legislature that would like to come on the air with Pete or myself or anyone, um, please do so. Please let us know. And that has fallen. And and initially in the phone conversations I've had with their legislative office, uh, they were willing to. Yes, please. Oh, yeah, we'll do it. Just send us a request. That request has been sent. Never fulfilled. They, they want to defend certificate of need, but they don't want to discuss it. Brent Woodcox, even on who was an advisor in this regard, uh, wrote on Twitter, hey, are you and Pete still interested in talking about this or no? Uh, to which I said, sure, come on the air and discuss it. Threw it out there to him to discuss it. And no response. Literally crickets. So it's interesting. They want to get credit for reforming certificate of need, but they don't want to talk about it. And this affects all of you. You want to have more access to dialysis. And here's the beauty of certificate of need if you get rid of it. What will happen is capitalism will return to the free market in medical care. So those and and the fear, a lot of people say, well, if you do certificate of need, it might run some people out of business. Well, the people that will run out of business are the people who are not providing good medical services, who are providing those medical services at too high a cost. And if you want to introduce innovation into our medical care, opportunities for people to to go to more, uh, have more access to medical care, to have cheaper access to medical care, to, to really have competition, you get rid of certificate of need. And you have to wonder why Republicans would protect it other than the sheer volume of money that is invested by the hospitals that do not want certificate of need to go away. I say that not in a mean way because a lot of the other budget budgetary aspects are very good. It's going to lower uh, state spending in some way. It's going to hold it uh, essentially to inflation plus plus state population growth. It's kind of a taxpayer bill of rights way of looking at things. So it does hold spending in check. It does grow the state budget, but it grows it slowly in line. It's kind of the because North Carolina, by virtue of its constitution, must have a balanced budget. 
So this, this is the Senate cranks out a budget. It will then go to the House. They will negotiate that, and the governor will ultimately decide if he wants to be irrelevant or relevant. If he vetoes it, he'll be irrelevant because the Republicans will make sure they have the votes to pass it. Or the governor can sign it and try to crow about something in it he likes, like Medicaid expansion, which has been his other issue. His, his, his goal is to put as many people on government addiction as possible, I guess. I, I can't understand this governor. It's, a, it's bizarre. So we'll talk about those kind of things. We'll talk about many others. Definitely want to talk about what happened with the Durham report release. Definitely want to talk about, uh, you know, the, the concept of a broken marriage. And not in the, the traditional sense of you, your wife, your husband, whatever, but what it would be like. Because I think the broken marriage analogy works fantastic in today's society. And, and what I mean by that is that that for whatever reason, we are functioning in a, in a broken marriage society, and, and meaning that that our two sides of the political spectrum are so invested in your attention and 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 some degree of or inability to negotiate. They claim they want to be bipartisan, but they never want to admit they could be wrong. So they're never wrong. And if you have imagine being in a marriage where neither partner would admit they're wrong. And, and think about the, the, the sheer tsunami of dysfunction that breeds and the cascade across the entire fruited plain, which is where we are. All right. Now, you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. You know, before we went to the break, we were talking about a little bit about certificate of need, a lot about the state budget, what's happening, the governor going around the state. It's interesting, not crowing about the budget. He's desperate. He's a one-issue pony right now. He's going around the state. It's all about reproductive health, i.e. abortion. Wouldn't it be interesting if you changed the entire debate? You never said the word abortion anymore. You said reproductive health. Not really healthy for the child involved, but nonetheless, which is the really the culmination of reproduction, isn't it? So the, the child reproduce a child, but uh, nonetheless, that's what's going on there. I, I will talk about crisis activism. You know, we, we know, and if you have kids, if any of you out there, and many of you do, your kids or grandkids that are in the like 12, 13, where they're really coming of kind of an awareness and they're exposed to social media 24 seven and into their early twenties and early thirties, you'll find a lot of things are different. They're not as interested in dating. They're not as interested in getting their license. It's a very different mentality. It's much more digitally focused. And it's also this massive over-reliance on digitization. It's the over-reliance on what they perceive as truth. And it, whereas you think adults and news agencies are predisposed to have what you call confirmation bias. It's where if you believe that the Beatles were the greatest band of all time and you can go out online and find 20 articles, uh, 20 pieces of research that, that confirm what you already believe, you've confirmed your bias. Then someone else that says, oh, no, well, you know, really it was the Stones or whatever, insert whatever band, you're wrong. But anyway, I'm kidding. 
but you'll find 20 articles to substantiate your version. And then we take those opinions that we all have and we denounce everybody else because we're right, they're wrong. And that's where we kind of find it. Now, if you add into that mix a lack of life experience, the profound lack of life experience in the 13 to 30 age group, and you add in confirmation bias, there's there's a heightened kind of it's not narcissism but it but it is a it is a hubris born of inexperience justified by social media so they want to they believe if, if you spoon feed them climate change they believe that that is now think about that the people who graduated from college typically i'm not talking about non-traditional students and all the other you know but your straight line college graduate today was born after 9-11 or born on 9-11 or thereabouts, they have no that that is that is not part of the that they have no pre nine eleven world. They really don't have much of a early post nine eleven world. So that that part of their world, the Soviet Union, all that stuff, not part of their world. None of that is their world. So they they have a heightened sense of justification in their beliefs that are kind of spoon fed to them by whatever influences they are and their circle in Snapchat or Instagram or Pinterest. That's their circle. And so it's very difficult to penetrate that with kind of logic and common sense. Don't confuse me with facts. My mind is already made up. And that's, that's where we're kind of headed right now. And, and that, but that crisis activism thing is playing in their head. So you, you mix into that. A lot of the lockdowns of the past, the isolation. So you take people that are already bothered by what they perceive are the injustices of the world. You mix into that the isolation that lockdowns bring about. And then you sprinkle that with negativity and you turn them loose in the world and say everything's fine. And it's not fine for them. It's not fine for them in, in remotely any way. And, and we're going to talk about there's a great column of, uh, along those lines about choosing your activism because it is weighing mentally on a lot of these kids. Whereas we need to be having great debates in society and we're shunning great debates. The Durham report, and again, it sounds like I'm skipping around, but believe it or not, there's a linear logic here. The Durham report is kind of the culmination of this garbage mentality over the past few years. There was, there was clearly a group inside government that couldn't stand Donald Trump. There was a group of political operatives around the Hillary campaign that hated their opponent. That's normal. And so they wanted to find a way to influence the outcome of that election and protect their candidate from undue scrutinization. They didn't want her to be scrutinized on her email thing, so they concocted this steel dossier stuff that was uncorroborated, unconfirmed, and then were able to influence people inside our government in positions of power to invent this crossfire hurricane invention this 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 made up russian collusion story and then weaponized it and and drug us through hell and and got the media now if i were in media and i had felt that lied to i would have been upset you would think cnn msnbc you would think the three-letter networks you would think all the people that bought it adam schiff should resign i mean he said he had all this extra evidence he never did but that that's that's kind of the confirmation bias on steroids so it's hard to get angry at kids when all the adults set such a horrible example in journalism at the national level over the past three, four years. It's unbelievable. 
And, and the final bit of that report was just a body slam. We'll talk a little bit about that. We have a lot to go, a lot more to go. There are a couple of bills I just want to bring to your attention. There's a particularly disturbing thing called an ETJ. Now, I got, I got a couple of notes about it. Uh, well, actually, the note about the bill. But I, I wanted to let you know what that was. A lot of people don't. You're listening to me. What the heck is an ETJ? And if I said extraterritorial jurisdiction, sounds very governmenty, doesn't it? It sounds very governmenty, but it, it essentially says this. An extraterritorial jurisdiction means a city, when it's looking at a given area that it perceives as the future corridor of itself, can extend its powers into an area over which it really isn't representing. In other words, it can extend all of its zoning powers over an area up to a mile outside of its own city limit and control that development, even though the people who may exist in that area cannot vote for them. In other words, it, it, it is a clear-cut case of you know the, this you know, domination without representation. You can be dominated by a city and have no say-so. You can't even vote for them or against them. So the legislature is has put forth a bill to get rid of that. Now, it's kind of masking a, it looks like a school uh, permit bill. It's Senate Bill 675. Very interesting. Would eliminate ETJs statewide. I'm sure the League of Municipalities is, you know, having seizures over this one. But nonetheless, it, it, it is a problem for cities. They're not allowing people to vote, not allowing people to represent themselves uh, you know, with the city, can't run for city, can't even run for a city council seat, but you're controlled by a city. So that's an interesting bill. Another one is House Bill 409, not getting a lot of attention. This is a huge earth shattering kaboom. And for lack of a better Warner Brothers analogy, it's it's a huge earth shattering kaboom. House Bill 409 that, that did make crossover. I'm sure the libertarians all across the state are rejoicing on this one. So here's the way this bill works. House Bill 409, fascinating bill. I know it's a little bit in the minutia, but it affects all of you and, well, most of you. It So the left has screamed about affordable housing for decades now, hasn't it? We need affordable. They use It's code word for we want more government buildings. It's code word for all sorts of things. A lot of the homeless problem, those homeless folks don't want to be in buildings. They want to check out of society. They don't want help unless they're given stuff, but they don't want to be in affordable housing. It's sad to say that when you interview, it comes out. Nonetheless, so what the, the Republicans have done is they put forth a bill, House Bill 409, which says that basically if you own if you own a, a home which conforms to North Carolina residential code, you can develop at least one accessory dwelling which conforms to it. So if you have a home, you can build an accessory building for one or two families. So if you want to alleviate the housing crisis, why not let people build an, uh, livable places that are, that are affordable for folks? It's, it's beautiful. Accessory dwelling unit means an attached or detached residential structure that is used in connection with or that is accessory to a primary single-family dwelling and that has less total square footage than the primary one. So if you have a house, you can take part of your house and coordinate it off and make it you know, habitable by a family or add to it or build a separate structure on your property. Here's the, the rub on this bill for local government, especially coast. It, it, there's been a war down along the North Carolina coast and to a certain lesser extent in the mountains where local governments do not want, they want to control everything about your home. 
and meaning that they don't even want you to be able to use Airbnb or short-term rentals. They want to outlaw that. They can't because it's discriminatory. They've, they've lost in court time and again. They lost in Wilmington, the Southport, these areas they've lost. So what's beautiful about this is it overrides all local government rules to the contrary. So if a bunch of people move into an area and then they say, no, we don't want anyone else to be able to do this. We don't want you to be, we like this area. We don't want you to be able to rent out part of your house. Mm, sorry. If this bill passes, th- they will have no say so in that. They'll have to, it'll have to meet code, but they can't prevent you from doing those kind of things. It's fascinating. I mean, just this is kind of where the sausage gets made. A lot of it is unnecessary. A lot of, and in fact, what's beautiful, wouldn't it be nice if someone went up to the legislature and looked at all of the laws on the book and they had a primary goal of getting rid of a lot of the outdated ones, just said, okay, there's probably 35% of the laws in this building right now that need to be gotten rid of. They're outdated. They're old. They're 150 years old. The world's changed. They need to go through and get rid of them. But every now and then, some of these, this actually overrides a ton of local ordinances all over the state and would make it fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So um, just wanted you to be aware of that. Those two bills are floating out there. Now, having said that, I want to get to the next segment. And, and, and it'll kind of lead, it'll lead into the budget discussion we're having at the bottom of the next hour. But it's, it's the broken marriage. And, and it has to do with that we live in this state where we're being pushed into positions where we can't have salient discussions. I appreciated all of those abortion phone calls yesterday. There was a wide variety of opinions expressed from one extreme to the, well, not extreme, but well, there was, I mean, comparing, you know, an unborn baby to a a McDonald's throwaway wrapper is yeah, that's one extreme. And then the other and, and where it's not allowed at all. So that's, but that's productive discussion. That's not name calling. That's not retreating into the woods. It's not throwing things at each other. It's not firebombing a clinic. It's having a substantive discussion. And that's the way you would be in your marriage, wouldn't you? You wouldn't. You you don't cut off an arm every time you're wrong in your marriage. Or if you do, you're like a divorce court waiting to happen. You you have to have the humility in a successful marriage to say, you know what, honey, I was wrong. And it's hard when you're married for a while. That's the last thing you want to do. You get so sick of saying you're sorry, but there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And in politics, though, can you imagine an Adam Schiff saying he was wrong or a a Swalwell saying, you know what, I was wrong or Rachel Maddow or Jake. Now, give Jake Tapper credit on CNN, someone who's been a vehement anti-Trump foe for a decade, seems like. And even Tapper, who read the Durham report, said this is bad. This is bad on all of us who carried water for the other side and were lied to. Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? Every day, every single day that I get up, even on weekends, uh, in addition to the the normal ins and outs of, of, of life that you have to deal with, I do a lot of research every morning. 
as I'm an, I'm an avid reader, I'm digesting all sorts of perspectives. I, I challenge my own beliefs. That's one of the best exercises you can do. Challenge your own beliefs. Are you, if you have an assumption about property rights, if you have assumptions about taxation, if you have assumptions about the role of government, do you challenge those on a regular basis? When you read a story, you just go, ah, see, I was right. Or do you say you find articles that confirm your bias, but also look at articles that challenge it and find out if those hold up? Do they stand up to scrutiny? And that's one of the things that I want to do. I want to do that all the time. You know, you knew, I'll give you a good example of that. During the George Floyd protest, after that, now Floyd in many places was was tried to make look heroic. There are pieces of artwork, there are statues, there are memorials that that make, now, no one's going to debate he should still be alive, but they will debate making a hero out of a, convict, a convicted, you know, drug user, uh, you know, not a good person to look up to. This is someone who stuck a gun in the belly of a pregnant woman, you know, threatened to kill her and the fetus. So this isn't a good guy. And had he listened, he'd be alive today. Now, that doesn't exonerate the cops. But, but the net result of this was to do what we always do. It set a bonfire off in the minds of those who wanted to believe all cops were bad. And so the media gravitated toward that, the attention, the, the blind squirrel attention span that everybody that clicks and oh, the, the hallelujahs on, oh, see, all cops. And then it started a defund movement and that we lit cities on fire, but it was called mostly peaceful, mostly peaceful protest as cities burned and billions of dollars of damage. And in, in the wake of that, you knew anybody looking at this, you knew what was going to happen. You knew that that turning the men and women who wear the uniform that stand between you and anarchy are not one. They're not all the bad guys. They're no more altruistic or bad than the rest of us out there in society. They're trying to do good. The vast majority of them do. They do protect you. They put their lives on the line. I'll tell you, when someone gets killed in the street, depending on their race, a lot of news. When a cop gets killed in the street, no one really writes a lot about it. It makes the local news story, and then it's over. But you knew that there were two things that were going to happen. One when the defund the police movement came out and the political left gravitated in that direction, you knew that all of a sudden cops were going to begin quitting. They were going to question, why do I want to be a part of something that's just being – you didn't get you didn't become a police officer because you wanted to be treated like dirt. You, you became a police officer because you wanted to be respected in your community. You wanted to, to, to serve and protect. Most of them do. Are there bad cops? Yes. Are there bad teachers? Sure. Are there bad politicians? Absolutely. You think of any avocation out there, they're bad. They're bad seeds, bad apples. But so you knew that cops won. And, and number two, you knew that getting new cops was going to be problematic. Everywhere that the defund movement took off, everywhere that media hyped it, you knew that there were going to be fewer cops. The cops that you did have were going to become inexorably more expensive. So the net result of this horrific policy was that cops were going to be very expensive and your taxes were going to go up to pay for cops because you made them rare. And City Journal has a great piece of this. The George Floyd protest that erupted in May 2020 not only ignited a nationwide debate about police reform, but sent shockwaves through the ranks of law enforcement. Experienced officers have fled large urban departments for the relatively calm suburban areas. While this exodus has garnered some attention, the conversation has largely overlooked the long-term consequences of this turnover, especially for the nation's larger and largest metropolitan departments. Take Memphis. March 23 Washington Post article highlighted how the city's police department, faced with a devastating loss of personnel over the last decade, resorted to lowering its standards. 
That shift in policy, which essentially equates to hiring less qualified officers with lower levels of education, may have contributed to the tragic killing of Tyree Nichols by five relatively inexperienced officers. Indeed, it's been noted. Nor is Memphis isolated. Police departments across the country are experiencing unprecedented levels of turnover in the post-Floyd era, from Seattle to Austin to Salt Lake City to Omaha. City forces are struggling to retain and recruit. The Police Executive Research Foundation surveyed 194 departments and found an average of 18% rise in resignations and a 45% increase in retirements between 2020 and 2021. Recent study examines a diverse sample of 14 large departments, more than 100 officers across the U.S., paints a very troubling picture. 11 departments reported higher rates of resignations and retirements than would be expected than pre-2020. Cities across the country. It's, but it's not surprising, is it? The implications of this are very profound. As experienced officers leave, less qualified recruits take their place. We have the, you know, the problem of quality policing the country. It's further exacerbated by the fact that it takes roughly 18 months to take an inexperienced recruit and turn that into a rookie officer capable of answering 911 calls. And not only that, but it's going to become more expensive. So as, as we look across the spectrum and you're looking at hiring cops, finding them is difficult, recruiting them is difficult, and they're going to become much more expensive. Alameda Police Department in California offering a $75,000 hiring bonus for officers. Policymakers would do well to explore cost-effective strategies to retain officers and stabilize the workforce. It's a nationwide problem. Nationwide problem. And, and what was it caused by? What really caused the problem? Was it caused by conservatives? No. Not to, now again, we're in this dysfunctional marriage where everyone wants to, but, but many more people should have stood up. But they don't because it's so fun to be in the crowd that says everyone's doing something wrong. It's so much more fun and exciting to be in the crowd that burns the city down. It's more exciting to not stand up and do the right thing. And we all are having to pay the price because of that. And it's going, it's, you think it's not going to be more expensive in Charlotte, Huntersville, Mint Hill? You know, I think it's going to be more expensive in Concord or Gaston County. It's going to cost you more. All because the defund the police movement. Much more to go here on the Pete Callender Show. Hour two getting ready to be underway. Do stay tuned. Much, much more to discuss and your phone calls. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. 